Hello, my name is Samantha, MYDM's personal digital finance assistant Android. On today's podcast I'll be playing the best of MYDM. So sit back, relax, take notes, and stack that paper. You're now listening to the best of MYDM. Here on Manager Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, we are joined here by Miss Shayla Coleman. Shayla, Shayla, <laughs> 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 talking too fast. Shayla Coleman, she is a, a CPA or a certified public accountant at one of the big four public accounting firms. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So your job here is to shed some light on these things that we don't really talk about in regular life. Um, so I think I, I think this is a a perfect opportunity to ask the hard-hitting and journalistic question. Do you have an Uncle Willie in your family? <laughs> I'm Uncle Willie. You are family. Uncle Willie. But I'm actually, you know, right. legit. Certified. So people hit you up about uh, tax stuff. I like that legit All word. the time. All, All the, the time. time. How, does that, how does that conversation go when around tax time? When does it start? Is it around Christmas? Like... When uh, people start hitting you up, like, can you do my taxes? Maybe about the week before deadline. Okay. Oh, well, oh, oh, so you got geez. some time. That's <laughs> exactly. what family Which is September, uh, April well, 18? April, yeah. Okay. So okay. usually about the week before is when I start getting the, hey, it's been a long time, cousin. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and usually a week's not enough time to really you know, get a handle on the situation. So I just tell them extend and God bless. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Anytime Woo. you hit him with that, God bless. That just, Woo. what do I, what, how do I come back? There's, hey. not, there's nothing to say after that. It's a cold um, world out here. This cold world. <laughs> Clearly. So, so on a day-to-day basis in your job, um, and, and if you could tell us, just walk us through your day and then just generally what a CPA does. So certified public accountant, um, the CPA designation, basically means that spent the better part of undergraduate studying specifically for accounting. Okay. Um, accounting and finance. So... Once you get the certain amount of credits, and it varies state by state, for, mm-hmm. but for the most part, okay. they're pretty uniform. So you okay. get the certain amount of credits within the accounting and finance field, and you take the certified public accounting exam. Right. That's um, Which is a beast from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's designated state by state by state boards. And it, that's basically you telling the state and the world that you know what you're talking about and that you know what you're doing. <laughs> it's four exams that you have the span of 18 months to pass. Okay. Um, and like he said, it's very grueling. Right. Um, you made it through the gauntlet. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> on prayer. <laughs> on prayer and lots of studying and caffeine. I, most of the coffee shops in the DMV area are very familiar with me. Okay. Um, just for my Do you have to keep period. those certifications up to date? Like, do you have to redo something, or is it just once you pass it, you're good? So that's another thing. There's always continuing education called CPE. So okay. on an annual basis, there's a minimum amount of credits okay. um, that you need to maintain related to accounting and even more specific whatever field right. in accounting you're working with. So right. for me, tax, any kind of like courses that I can take, and luckily my job provides a lot of them that okay. goes towards my minimum requirement. Excellent, excellent. And just real quick, the specifics, you're in, what do you, like, who do you help as a CPA at the company that you work for? Like, just real quick, talk about that. So the company I work for, we do, we have three different arms, basically. Big umbrella, we do tax, mm-hmm. audit, and consulting services. So I work in the tax department. Okay. 
I'm in a specific industry group. So I, my, the clients I help are real estate investors. Okay. Um, and what I mean by real estate on my end is commercial real estate. Right, right, so right, right, right. I prepare the tax returns for partnerships or corporations that own shopping malls, right. office buildings, apartment right. complexes, okay. things of that nature. That so sounds really hard. It is interesting. <laughs> it's it's interesting. a it's a it's different every day. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's fun seeing, you know, some sometimes I can walk in a shopping mall or I'm in a certain place and I recognize the name or I recognize the location of the property and I think to myself, I wonder if I just did their tax return. <laughs> <laughs> kind of situation. Absolutely. So it's, it's it's interesting in that regard. Interesting stuff, interesting stuff. So here's what I have for you. I mentioned earlier in the show that there are certain designations that you can get or certifications that you can get as a tax professional that let everybody know you know what you're doing and you're not Uncle Willie. Can you share with us beyond CPA what some of those are? Some of the simpler ones, I guess? That is correct. So CPA is generally regarded as the most rigorous one. Okay. Um, but there are others where if you have an enrolled agent um, okay. Okay. certification, otherwise called an EA, you are able to represent with some limits um, before the IRS. Oh, wow. So not only are you, you know, able to- Enrolled prepare, agent. Enrolled agent. Enrolled agent. <laughs> you can prepare a tax return. You can represent before the IRS. So let's say your client gets audited or there's an appeal that needs to happen or some kind of collection issue. An enrolled agent can represent you okay. just as well as a CPA, as well as an attorney. Um, okay. There's okay. tax attorneys right. um, who specify or who specialize rather in tax consulting and tax issues. Right. So you can also get an attorney. Okay. now. Keeping in mind that you hear attorney and you're like, oh, that sounds expensive. <laughs> and you know, it probably will be. So your next option would be uh, annual filing season program participant. Hmm. Now. Okay. Say that again. Say that again. Annual filing season program participant. Okay. All right. Now, this is a person who doesn't necessarily have any kind of licensing or, you know, three letters at the end of their name, but they are in pursuit of, they work in the accounting and tax field, and they're in pursuit of continuing professional education. So while they don't have the magical three letters, they are constantly required to keep a minimum you know, level of expertise and experience okay. to be able to prepare tax returns. Okay. Now they can't represent you if mm-hmm. you ever got audited or had a collection issues, they are merely limited to preparing your tax return, but that's a good place to start. But that is a very important distinction too, because if I was a, je- a regular person who said, you know, I need to get my taxes done, I'm gonna go to this person versus that person because it's half the price and I don't understand what I'm paying for. Well, I made the point before that you get what you pay for, but some of that is you're getting someone who does have the ability to stand by you and stand by their work, where in some cases you get somebody that says, I prepared it for you, but you're on your own if it hits the fan. Exactly. That's essentially what I heard you say. No, no, no. no. And the IRS kind of helps you try to navigate that. They have a portal Mm -hmm. where you can basically look up CPAs or hmm. anybody with who is authorized to represent you or prepare a tax return. They okay. have a database at irs.gov where you can look up either by CPA, by enrolled agent, any of those designations that oh, I talked wow. about, plus a few others in your area. Okay. So you can oh. put in your zip code and you okay. say within so many miles who is an authorized or a certified professional in the tax field. Um, so you're, you're, you'll be set as long as you, you know, know where to look that's helpful information that's really detailed now kind of going back a little bit what are some like really basic things like you've been doing this tax thing for a while what are just like some basic blanket things to remember for just anyone and everyone who's getting you know putting their getting their w-2s in the mail 
um, who's getting ready to like do anything having to do with taxes, some basic guidelines to keep in mind. Organization will always be your friend. One of the biggest nightmares of any tax accountant, I would say, is the whole receipts in a shoebox situation. <laughs> okay. Nobody ever wants to see that happen. Right. And in the age of having a lot of technology and apps and things like cloud drives where right. you can have maybe like Evernote, Google Drive, or what have you, it really does make it easier for you to keep track of your expenses, income items like receipts that you spend on major things like medical bills or you know major payments of that nature that as long as you're organized about it and when any questions that should ever arise your tax preparer will be 100 percent confident that they can support you that you can even support yourself should anything come up okay excellent excellent if you have any questions for shayla uh got a few more minutes with her as we talk to her you can just uh add us on twitter i'm looking at our mentions column now at mydm1 um so that's all great stuff uh, Malcolm, you mentioned this question, you know, in preparation for Shayla coming on. Uh, are there any major uh, tax law changes that are coming or that are hitting in 2017 that people need to like be aware of, that people should be thinking about as they get ready to do their taxes? Um, so we all know that it's been a very interesting past few months. <laughs> <laughs> and what, um, whatever do you mean? Well, you know. <laughs> Being in D.C. and all in the seat of power, it's been just like an episode of Scandal. Mm. Um, <laughs> but ten times worse. <laughs> but I will say that um, given the new administration, there's a few kind of key things that to look out for. Okay. I don't think it'll be in the immediate hit in 2017 um, kind of things, but... Anybody who's been paying attention to, you know, the past couple of years and people on the campaign trail, it's all been about tax reform, tax reform, tax reform. Right. So a lot of th changes that are proposed to happen that will affect individuals is going from a seven tier right. tax rate system to three. Yes, Lord. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a fan of that. I, I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, but I'm a fan of that one. So, yeah, um, one of the biggest pursuits is going down to three tax rates, okay. um, three tax brackets, as opposed to the seven we have now. And right. the seven we have now range from 10% to 39.6%. Mm -hmm. Which is almost half. So we would go from that to a proposed. Now, this is a proposal. Proposed, not law 12%, 25%, and 33%. Okay. Say that so, again. Proposed. Proposed new rates would be 12%. Uh-huh. 25% okay. or 33%. Okay, I got it. And for corporations, it would go from 35 to. Essentially, uh, not off the top of my I head. I want to say 33. I don't think it's as drastic. I want to say it, 33, it, but I'm it, not It's something sure. that helps out all the billionaires that are above our pay grades, and it like splits that number in half or something right. like that that I saw. Right. Yeah. And that one, I mean, you know, great for Wall Street and great for anybody who owns a major corporation. But for the majority of us, I think going from that seven to a three-tiered approach helps at least simplify a lot of this mess. Um, it helps eliminate the need for Uncle Willie's and Aunt Sheila's in a lot of cases because then you can prepare your own 1040 easy uh, yourself. Don't even have to do it online. Just get the paper from the IRS's website and, you know, knock it out. Um, but then, you know, when you think about the likelihood of something like that happening, um, I don't know that it will actually happen. Right. Because if that proposal will become law. Right. Just because there's so many other things that everybody is so adamant about seeing happen before, you know, 2020. Right. I just don't know how likely that one is to bring everybody together and, 
Right. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. And another thing, um, real quick. So, uh, Malcolm, you found this little detail that the IRS may be delaying payouts of refunds to reduce uh, identity theft. Yeah. Um, so all these identity thefts we kept hearing about that happened to elderly people, especially, but a lot of just people in general mm -hmm. um, over the last couple of years, the IRS's response to that was just to delay how long they take to send out those uh, re refunds so that it deters thieves from going through the trouble of stealing your right. uh, have information. You, have you guys got any information of that in your, your, your space? So that's an excellent question. Uh -huh. And yes, to provide some light on that, it is true that the IRS is delaying the process of refunds, but it does not affect all taxpayers. Okay. Mm. Now, to give okay. a little background, there was the Protection of Americans from Tax Hikes Act, otherwise known as the PATH Act. Okay. This was passed uh, late 2015. Okay. A part of that provision was that there is a section that mandates that any return that uses either the earned income tax credit or the additional child mm -hmm. tax credit okay. has their refund delayed. Ooh, so y'all hear Not that? necessarily all taxpayers, but any taxpayer that utilizes those credits, their refund was delayed. Claiming kids. <laughs> <laughs> or... Reason being. Earned income credit. Now, the reason being, to Malcolm's point is correct, it okay. was to help deter and better detect identity theft and fraud. Right. And when you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense because the nature of these two credits. Right. Now, a little background, credits in a traditional sense, mm -hmm. the regular ones are only able to reduce your tax liability to zero. It right. cannot generate a refund. Right. It cannot give you more money. These two either. credits, however, are called refundable credits okay. where it can reduce your tax liability not only to zero, but it could also create a deficit which results in a refund. Okay. So even taxpayers who didn't have a liability and didn't pay into the system via right. you know, withholding or quarterly estimates, if they are eligible for these credits and they use them, that can generate a refund for them. So you can see how it would entice people right. sometimes to <laughs> want to find ways to you know, better utilize the system. Right, absolutely. Um, and it was, um, the delay is mainly due to the fact that the IRS usually has to receive W-2s from employers by January 31st. Okay. So when people file early right, and those it. returns are filed before the IRS even has withholding, there's no real way to cross-check right. whether the withholding and the wages that were reported are actually true. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Now, one of the things that we do here at Manager Damn Money, we talk often specifically to artists, creatives, and entrepreneurs. Um, those people who are making income on the side or folks like myself who make their income totally outside of like the W-2 setting where you're just getting a paid every two weeks. Um, what are some keys to like recording, reporting, expenses or whatever, um, things that you think are important for those kind of folks when getting ready to file their taxes? So to my earlier point, being organized is key. Having a system somewhere on your hard drive, on your cloud, right. have a folder somewhere where you're keeping track, or even an Excel sheet where you're keeping right. track of all the money you're making from your side hustle and all the money that you're spending related to your side hustle. Right. Because this will help you better track A, like whether you're reporting your income correctly, because we all want to do that, <laughs> and B, whether you're actually getting the full benefit of any expenses and deductions that okay. you could okay. you know benefit from around tax return times would you recommend that those same people those entrepreneurs that we're talking about um file more frequently than just once a year to eliminate the possibility of doing exactly what you're, just, what you're talking about well it depends okay. um they're 
to your point, if you're asking about whether they should pay quarterly mm -hmm. um, estimates, there's a certain threshold that you have to look at to whether you even need to file quarterly okay. estimates. So if you think that you're going to owe, I believe, more than $1,000 in tax, mm -hmm. and if you have not <laughs> yet paid, if you're if you've not yet paid at least... I guess 90% is, I can't remember the number off the okay. top of my head, then yes, you, it would be in your best interest to file on a quarterly basis okay. as opposed to once a year. But that was you, a loaded question. That was <laughs> that, by the way. But if based on your past activity, you don't think you'll meet the $1,000 threshold, right. then... That's pretty low threshold. Basis. Right. If you're, if you're <laughs> in business low. and you're, you're in business, you're making money. And you're profitable. If you're profitable. It's a pretty safe assumption you've made a few more dollars than that. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Call on the Lord. All right. <laughs> so another thing to make sure for entrepreneurs is to set aside money for the self-employment tax. Yes. A lot of people get caught up on this and think, you know, that W-2 people have it easier because your employers do it for you. Right. But when you're self-employed, you're responsible for that. Absolutely. Your share and the employer's share. But keep in mind, you get to deduct the employer's share later, but you have to set aside money for it up front. So half of what you make, put in a bank so you can pay it to somebody. Boom. Boom. All right. Very good. Um, and real quick before we wrap up, um, if people want to get a better understanding of their t particular tax situation, uh, where are some places or websites or whatever that you would just point people to real quick? Honestly, a lot of people think the IRS is the nemesis of the universe. <laughs> and they have it just as hard as we do. Right. <laughs> Administratively wise. But they have excellent resources okay. just go to irs.gov okay. they have the very organized resources on how to choose a tax preparer what you need um, and the instructions for all the forms and as well as programs as, as including the volunteer income tax assistance program okay. where tax professionals like myself come out on a volunteer basis and help prepare tax returns okay. for low-income and elderly people so mm. irs.gov first off Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, we want to thank you, Shayla, for coming yes. on today. Um, thank you. You helped me learn a lot. Um, it. I didn't know. I actually didn't know what the threshold actually was, and I saw the thousand dollar number somewhere, but I didn't know that that was like the once you cross that, like you should be paying quarterly. Yeah. Um, so this year, I, my plan is to pay quarterly. In some way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to take another quick music break. Um, hear this, another track from our in-house producer, Shayla. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate right, it. And we will be right back. You are now tuned into the best of MYDN, aka, Get Your Money Boo. Now, back to the show.
You are listening, watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. And we want to remind folks that we want people to share and share the news and the wealth of uh, information and what people know and learn about this show. Uh, we want to call on creatives and entrepreneurs to, sh- entrepreneurs to share their story. Every month, we'll be highlighting individuals who have successfully turned their passion into a side hustle. Uh, you can learn more about uh, sharing your story if you go to uh, manageyourdamnmoney.com backslash the others. And we'll be pulling from this list, of the list eventually to feature uh, creatives, artists, and entrepreneurs who are doing their thing in the Washington, D.C. DMV area and anyone else who is nearby. And so uh, go to manageyourdamnmoney.com backslash the others to find out more. Um, and uh, But, of course, we're listening to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. And today, we are returning to our conversation at hand. We have a wonderful friend of mine uh, and friend of the show, Mr. Evan Lee Marbury. Welcome, sir. How are you? What's going on, fellas? I'm well. And yourselves? Excellent. Excellent. No complaints. No complaints. And we have you here because you are a real estate agent. I am. You are a home home salesman. (laughs) And uh, we've been talking about credit or credit. Oh man, credit! Oh my god! Um, and uh, first, before we get into that, just tell us like about yourself a little bit professionally, what you've been doing, and you know whatever you want to tell us about For yourself. Sure. Um, so I'm Evan Lee Marbury, a graduate of the Hampton University, born and raised in uh, this area in Rockville, Maryland, and I currently am with the Mueller Marbury Group, which is a subset of Better Homes and Garden Real Estate uh, down on 14th Street. I'm licensed in DC, Maryland, and Virginia. So. Yeah. Okay. My, my days consist of looking at properties and trying to get people to buy them, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. That's what, that's what I do. Okay. That. Excellent. Um, so you deal with individuals, families, and the rest at a point when they are considering making a huge purchase um, that they plan on to hold on to for a little while. Sure. Um, what's one of the major misconceptions or misunderstandings you find people have about their credit score and how it impacts their home buying, potential home buying or whatever? I think the biggest miscon- misconception in this area is... Um, you know, we're in D.C., so people make considerable amount of money here. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people have debt as well. And people don't think about their um, their debt-to-income ratio when they mm. think about that. So, yes, your credit score is great. W- what does that mean, income-to-debt so, so, ratio? So you have to make a certain amount. Your your, your debt, what you owe, can't outweigh um, what you make. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, there's, a, there's a scale for that. Okay. Um, so people can have a, you know, 780 credit score right. and still not be able to afford to have a home because... The debt to income ratio was, you know, because their 50%. debt fa- their debt is too high in relation to what right. they make. Like a bank's not going to tack on another, you know, DC four hundred thousand dollars for a one bedroom condo. That's being when you have generous in DC. You know, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt, and you make ninety thousand a year. Like, right. It's just not going to happen. Right. Real quick, make sure you yeah. step forward. Um, and then second question. Uh, before someone comes to look for a home with you. Uh, what are the, some of the top things if people are like, okay, it's time to buy a home for me. What are some top things that people should be thinking about doing, getting prepared? Not necessarily they're like at bat, but they're like in the dugout getting ready to like step up to the plate and they're thinking about it. What are some things people can start doing to like get ready? Well, what Malcolm said earlier is uh, really trying to get those things off your credit that you can. So not your student loans necessarily, not ne- not your, your car, ne- not necessarily, but those store credit cards, those like hospital bills, those little things that you know you can't take care of when you've just been paying the minimum monthly because right. why not? Right. You know? um, that's really important okay. uh, because when you go and ask a lender for a loan, uh, they're going to look at those little things and say, we're not going to write to you because you, know, you have these little minuscule things that you haven't been paying on when you really 
can right. get rid of those fairly easily. Absolutely. So, Evan, you mentioned that the majority of your job is riding around, showing folks homes, sure. trying to convince them to buy these homes. One concern that I've heard, you know, from folks buying houses and myself, I've been through the process before and I had a little bit of the same concern with the realtor that I used. How do I know? How What are some ways I can know where things would be on the lookout to make sure that this person is actually trying to act in my best interest and get me into the home that I want and not necessarily just in their own interest because obviously they're only compensated when they sell you a house? Right. Well, I advise my friends I always go with me, right? Because I'm their friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Smart man. I'm going to have their best interest um, uh, at heart. Uh, for people that don't know, you know, like if you just moved to an area and don't know anyone, always go off referrals. It's really hard to know just by what a realtor does because mm-hmm. we pretty much all do the same things, obviously. Yeah, right. Um, for for what customers see. Now, for on the back end, you guys might not see things that we, we would know, but... Um, it's really hard to tell if they're a good realtor or not. On the front end. From like a naked eye. Right. 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 Um, so I would say always just go for referrals. There's really okay. no no formula. There's there's not a one thing that I can tell you. Okay. Um, as, but I will say, make sure they're uh, communicating with you. That's extremely that's important. That's fair. Like, okay. Very back and forth. Um, I'm someone that's up 3 a.m. People can, they know my clients, they can text me anytime and it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, so that's... That's a plus. Right. Um, not, every, not everyone does that, but if you can find someone that does, then you, that's a good first step. Okay. Right. Now, here's my rant question. <laughs> my stepping on a soapbox question. Oh, um, is anyone really a homeowner? Like, aren't we all just home renters? Because you not only do you pay your mortgage, which is like, you know, your monthly payment to right. the bank on a mortgage, you also pay property taxes, which is another thing that a city or a municipality can use to not only charge you for the land that you're sitting on top of, but in some situations you can buy land up under from folks if mm-hmm. they haven't been paying on their property taxes for a while. It's hard to do in DC. It's hard to do in DC, but it is. there are mechanisms by which to do that. So my question to you is, is anyone really a homeowner or are we all just like renting until, you know? Well, I'll... I'll- I'll give in to you a little bit. Oh, right. That Why'd yes, you do it? But only Why did you give him that? But for 30 years. And then you're uh, okay. a homeowner, right? Okay. okay. So, yeah, yeah, technically you could say you're a home renter, right? For 30 years, if you have right. a 30-year mortgage or a 15-year fix, whatever it's going to be. Right. Um, but after you pay it off, no, you own it. Yes, you'll still pay property tax. But right. it's just... So you guys are kind of getting at uh, the other side of the argument that I've found myself making more and more recently, Mm -hmm. which is that the conventional wisdom of your home being your best investment no longer really applies in the sense that well, hear me out for a second in the sense that when I make an investment into the stock market, if I buy shares of Amazon, for example, I, I own those shares of Amazon. I don't continue to make maintenance payments and continue to make tax payments and continue to pay all these additional. Th- I don't take out a loan to buy shares of Amazon, right? right? So that is an investment, a direct investment. The home, to Ben's point, I'm kind of renting it from myself, especially <laughs> more because we be, we've become more and more transient these days. Yeah. Like the conventional wisdom of buy a house, get a 30-year fixed mortgage, stay in that house for 50 years. You'll pay it off in 30 and then you can retire. That's not really the way a lot of our life plans are probably going to look now. So you also have to consider that because the first five years of a 30-year fixed mortgage are almost all going to interest. So if I'm going to stay in the house for less than five years anyway, I haven't bought anything. I really just rented it. So you got to consider that aspect of it, too. Like if you're not going to be in the house more than like 10 years, 
it's not your best investment yet. Right. Well, depends. What would, so, you, what would you say, sir? Well, I'll say, so with every client that I've sold to, okay. um, we've never had a conversation of which I'm going to be in this house for 30 years. Right. Okay. Never, because they're not going to be. Right. It's not going to happen. But in this day and age, um, there's so many other ways to keep your equity in your home mm -hmm. and to then rent it, Airbnb it, do whatever you want to do, and actually maybe make, possibly make a little bit of profit. Right. On your home. Okay. So no one's really thinking like, yeah, I'm going to be here 30 years. Right. Absolutely not. Right. But I might be here for five. Right. And if I can Airbnb it for 10 days a month after I move, that probably will cover my mortgage because I could probably get in D.C. $200 a night. Can I can I add something to yeah, that real quick, sure. though? A, 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 a word of caution. Mm. Do not buy a house expecting to be able to use Airbnb to rent it out on right. a 30-year mortgage. If you don't own that house straight out, do not buy a house expecting to be able to Airbnb it. Because what happens if Airbnb no longer exists tomorrow? Oh, right? Man. Like there's constantly court battles with Uber and Lyft and all these different sharing right. type of companies. Right. What happens if one of these court battles wins and those forms of rentership don't exist anymore and you no longer have the ability to have a tenant? Right. And so you got folks who will leverage their current house. They'll, they'll take out a home equity loan, take out debt against the house they're currently in to buy a rental property on the principle that I should be able to rent this out with Airbnb right. for the next however many years, right. cut it out, right. stop it. With with that said, um, can you uh, tell me, especially now that we're living different lives as millennials, as they say, what are some key places or key things that are good reasons for buying a home that people should have in mind when they're when it's time to like turn that turn the key? No pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> Two, I think two big ones in this city I can speak for. I think one, tax purposes. I think that's that's huge. Okay. Um, you know, someone that's running an apartment and makes over $100,000 a year with no car that really doesn't contribute to society. Like, right. when tax time comes, you're right. pretty much going to pay a lot of money. Yeah. If you had a property, you'll pay maybe nothing or a lot less. Um, I think second, um, just... I guess for me, just having something of your own, like renting, I mean, we all do it. We all, we've all done it. Most of us still do it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it kind of changes your mindset when you own. It's, okay. it's, it, it's a feeling, you okay. know? And really, comparatively speaking, in this city, you're probably going to pay about the same. Now, to get the place, you have to have some money. Right. Mm -hmm. But month to month, right. it's probably looking the same. So if you have... Uh, you know, some considerable money in your bank that you can spend on something. Right. Why not put it in? If you're not okay. if you're not buying stocks, why not put it in the real estate okay. business? All right, real quick, we're going to take a real quick break. Um, but when we come back, we have a few more questions for Evan. Um, some of we're going to talk about is what are some of the true unseen or unexpected costs of being a homeowner. Um, so we'll take another music break. Uh, music producer is Beats by Beeman. You can find his music on Instagram. Also executive producer of this show. Uh, we will be right back.
Hey, are you paying attention? How's that bank account looking? Here's more NYDM to get you right. Black Cobain, Risa Renee, uh, Brown Sugar. Uh, we are excited to have to my right and your left, uh, Miss Risa Renee. What's up, baby? Risa <laughs> Renee, well-known yeah. fixture here in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, she is a singer, songwriter, yeah. all-around fun person who Everything. I see on the regular, just yeah. out doing things. Um, but real quick background. Risa was actually one of the very first people we interviewed uh, when we conceptualized the idea of Manage Your Damn Money. You can actually watch her episode on ManageYourDamnMoney.com. Uh, but you always know Risa in part by the hairdo yeah. and by her wonderful spirit that she's, she gives. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, baby. I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. So we re recently saw each other at a coffee shop. Yeah, um, Capital City Cheesecake to be exact. To come apart, make sure you go through. That's my homegirl. You got to plug, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Women out here doing their thing. We talk about money anyway. She out talk. here entrepreneur, and I'm proud talk. of her. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um... So we were talking about that, and the con this, that conversation actually spurred us developing the show this week. Yeah. Um, so first of all, before we get into like how artists make money and how you plan and everything around the money part of being an artist, right. um, just tell us a little bit real quickly about your music, yeah. how you go about things. Um, so go ahead. All right. Well, my name is Risa Renee, uh, for those who don't know. Uh, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, repping, repping for the last six years. Um, I started my career in January 2011, um, independent artist all the all the way you know uh the city has been backing me um since i first started i'm i'm super appreciative of that but uh myself uh, my manager sam bone um and at the beginning of my career my publicist natasha uh were the only three ent entities working at at it um and over these last couple years i mean directly it's been just myself and my manager okay. um and just have d plugged different creatives in on a Excellent. On the whole move. <laughs> you just got through performing at South by Southwest in I did. Austin, Texas. Yeah. What was that like? Tell us about that real quick. And it was amazing, man. It was awesome. I mean, it was a wonderful opportunity. It's funny. I'm going to make this as quick as possible. Uh -huh. um, I knew about South by Southwest for uh, many of years, but okay. it's just something about selling your mixtape that I really don't like. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, if you think of it, like, I can't, I, if I could make a dope analogy, it's going to take too much time to think about it. But it's just everybody's out there. Mm -hmm. Pushing their music. Absolutely. You're an artist, you're an artist, she's an artist, he's an artist, she's an artist. We, just got through we all like, oh, look, check out my mixtape, I'm tight, you know what I'm saying? Right. And I just didn't like the. Okay. It, it did, wouldn't benefit me any, um, okay. telling other artists how cool I am. Like, sure. I just didn't really. I think it's a great opportunity. Okay. Now that I went, I get it. And okay. it's more over about the, what they offer, okay. all them damn stages, um, all of the uh, uh, workshops that they have there as well. Like, that part was awesome. But okay. I always said I wasn't going to go until I performed. So, right. to be able to go, and not only to be able to perform, uh, Events DC put on an amazing event. Uh, we actually set an attendance record at that event. Oh, wow. Um, but to open up for Erica Badu uh, as well is Wu-Tang Clan, uh, Rare Essence Backyard Band, okay. uh, uh, you know what I'm saying, Boom Scat, uh, Ari Lennox, like just to be on stage with all of these DC based, like DC bred in the, you know, trenches fighting, trying to make something for ourselves, that it, that meant an uh, wow. absolute lot to me. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Um, so w the thing that we were talking about at the coffee shop, it, yeah. it, it boiled down to a single idea was like how you go about making 
the money that sustains your career and then also sustains your life. What are like the top three things that you've learned? You've been doing it for like six, seven years. We've been at this creative thing for a while. Yeah. Um, what is what What are the top things that you think people need to know when they're considering like jumping out and starting to do things as an artist? Number one, multiple streams of income. Yeah. Um, yeah. Say that again. Yeah, multiple streams of income. I think being a creative, you have to realize that our business is personal. Oof. And you try so hard to separate it because everybody's like, you're getting shit to be personal. But I mean, it's my art, so I'm sensitive it's about you. my shit, like straight up, you know what I'm saying? So it is personal. Um, and taking that hat off is one of the hardest transitions, I think, as a creative to do. What transition? Taking that, that creative hat off and looking at yourself as a business. Okay. Um, because you want people to buy your stuff. You don't understand why they're not. You might not want to go into all of the emotional sides of why they're not, but at the end of the day, you have to make your numbers and you have to do what you have to do. So Absolutely. going out and getting a nine to five job, as much as it sucks, mm -hmm. and I, we can get more into detail because I found ways to finagle around that. <laughs> You're creative though. You can create whatever you want. You can create job titles. You can create whatever you want. That's a, that's a, well, I'm not going to jump all the way there, but you know, you just have to take the pressure off sometimes of saying yes to everything. Um, allowing people to pimp you out for your gift. Um, no, seriously. Okay. When you don't have any other uh, uh, streams of income, you know, an opportunity comes and they pay you something that is not necessarily what you deserve. You're right. going to take it because you that's it. exactly. Right. And I think that that is a very important line to, to draw. As so a creative. here's a question I got for you. So you mentioned being at South by Southwest and some of the, the large scale artists that we were recognized by name that you were like coming in contact with yeah. when you talk to those people on a regular basis do they kind of give you the advice like if I had it to do it all over again I'd be doing it the way you're doing it or if I had it to do it all over again you know dot 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 like what are they telling you can I be quite honest please do there's no major artists that are mentoring me right now okay so I've done this um, not all by myself yeah um, without getting too into detail I, uh, I've had the opportunity and had opportunities extended to me by uh, Jazzy Jeff uh, mm -hmm. in Philadelphia that's like the first person that's actually believed in me and stamped me and not even through words uh, through actions through yeah. accessibility that's more uh, to, important exactly um, so I don't have to have these conversations with those people but I, I do re I do know <laughs> so as an up and coming artist you guys know we go to the festivals and we crash and we get backstage and I'm like yeah oh my god it's LeBron let me take a picture with you right <laughs> post on Instagram oh just was hanging out with LeBron yeah. for likes and chopped it up with LeBron literally caught up with LeBron no, you hear didn't. me out yeah, a year ago I told myself I'm not doing that anymore right. yeah, I'm taking a picture with somebody I'm doing business with them oh wow because right. what's the real benefit of it other than getting likes on on a social media platform like business wise it doesn't I mean it's cool yeah. it's cool it may make you want to listen to my song but right. at the end of the day I'm trying to do some business you know what I'm saying I guess so you have a few more followers yeah, which is cool. Which is cool. I'm not knocking it, but I'm just trying to do business with these people. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, next question. Uh, we talked. We had a very specific conversation about um, the music game. We talked about it a little bit, and before we brought you on, uh, but you came out in 2012 with Release, which was your first full album project, and then 2015 you came out with Lovers Rock, which was your next uh, album project. Yeah. There was a difference because when Release came out. Apple Music, Spotify, and those things hadn't hit, right? So one thing that we don't really talk about when we talk about all these album sales and album things, tell me about the difference, because I bought release like on the, on the you know, buy the album tip. What's been the difference, the major differences between 
your album sales before streaming was a thing and post like when you just still had to buy the album for 10 bucks off itunes and how you how the income is cobbled together now that you can just stream it without buying it and you just pay that subscription it's a huge difference actually streaming mega difference i mean this is an arguable point i mean i'm sure it's just we can go back and forth on this all day in terms of the the depth right. of this conversation but right. um i mean it's extremely different it, on one end it's cool because we have more control i guess we can reach more people there's sure. more platforms um there's more people can get to it faster right. it's cool but uh as an artist i'm not sure how many of our listeners know this we get paid point zero 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 nine five cents per stream <laughs> I'm not laughing. No, I was just like, no, it's okay. No, but that breakdown. But that's real. Like, but that's real. When you when you can you can look up the numbers and you see on, you know, one of my main uh, things that shows me all of it. uh, People streaming wherever they are, Spotify, whatever. You know, we don't really get paid money off of that. But at the same time, because somebody can just on their favorite jump and I pop up like uh, Spotify actually just recently featured got me loose on uh, their Discover Weekly playlist, and we got 54,000 streams. So yeah, like at the same time, it's just like, woo. It could, it could be great. It's, it yeah, it's just a different kind of hustle, if you will. It's not, you know, release was a, a, a very genuine time for me, because it was not only my first album, but people were still buying albums. So I was able to see, you know, the return on uh, being creative or whatever right. in a way that I wouldn't have been able to if I would have waited a little bit longer to Absolutely. do that. Maybe I would be more discouraged, but. It's cool. Knowing that that's the case, um, and I'm, I'm kind of taking us through a, a specific path. Knowing that's the case, um, talk to me about the way that performing, doing live shows, performing like at local stages or whatever, how that factors into the income piece. Oh, man. Because you're not making the same amount off of your actual music sales, but you're doing it in a way that is out in, with the people in, in the world. Like, talk to me about how that works on your end. Shows are huge, let alone it's my favorite part. I, I flip and love shows because it gives me an opportunity to connect with my fans. It gives me an opportunity to bring the music to life. Like, that's my art. Like, it's like a blossom. But, um, I mean, that's where you get the money, for real, <laughs> the shows, you know? And, and, and sometimes, like, okay, so me and Sam, he, he, he gonna kick me if I he gonna kick me but it's cool we've been independently touring probably for the last five years yeah. so after we released release we went on the road with that thing and some shows we would get paid for and other shows would be connecting and we just take it on the chin like forget it one thing I got into it with someone on Facebook about this though whether they believed it was still uh, beneficial to order hard copy CDs okay. Okay. after someone sees your show and they really bang with you like heavy they're gonna wanna buy your music like right then at and the there. Show. And right, at the show. So if they on, you know, iTunes, whatever, great, go download it. That's your thing, and you just are completely against it. On your way home though, you're gonna wanna pop that tape in. Or even if you don't listen to CDs and you really respect it, the art that just happened, just in support of the situation, you're gonna wanna buy the album. So sometimes we have done shows with no budget, but have sold you know, enough CDs to at least be able to take care of the band or whatever the case may be. And not only that, you know, the people go home, they have something palpable. Um, it's it's a package. It's like, oh, Reese Renee, she was tight. Oh, by the way, you're my friend. I just met you. I went to the show. I ran this. I just went ahead and bought it on iTunes. I don't do, do CDs, but here. See, that's the point that I was making before about the difference in how the structure of it is. You can sell, you know, however many CDs at your show. 
and probably coop the same amount that it would take for five middlemen in the middle to book that show for you, get the word out, get all these people to come and show up. And then that kind of changes the dynamic of how you get paid. Depends. It depends, sure. but you're right. But you're right. Yes, it's possible. Absolutely. I, I would, I would, I would, the best advice I could give, not that you asked, but <laughs> is to stay genuine. Yeah, I know. Yeah, just stay genuine with it. You know what I'm saying? Be human about your art form. You don't never want to be so untouchable. Yeah, I did South by Southwest, but look at me. Look at me right now. Like, I'm home right now. I didn't come up here with a bunch of fucking cakes, sorry, cakes and makeup on my face. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still, I'm still human. You know what I'm saying? I'm still willing to talk about it. It's still a, it's still a building process. I'm, I'm still the same Risa that was running around here five, six years ago. Like, check out my mixtape. I just love what I do type yeah. situation. You know what I'm saying? And when you take gigs and you get those big gigs that are booking for four or five figures, that's cool. But just still, you know, you, you still want to give back and you still want to connect and touch the people. Absolutely. Last question before you, we uh, plug your stuff. Yeah. Um, how do you manage you're a real person with real bills and yeah. real, a real life. <laughs> uh, how do you manage the cost of being an artist, whether studio time, flights to South by Southwest, um, you know, band things or whatever it is that you have to manage on the artist side and then manage also your personal financial life? How, what, is, what is the way that Risa Renee deals with those two things, which often probably come in conflict? Um, okay. I'm an artist, which means I'm also uh, very spur of the moment. I spend money like that. Okay, we talked about this a long time. <laughs> yes, ago. because I'm a creative. If I see a purple flipping go-kart over there and it can go in my video, I want that damn go-kart. You know what I'm saying? Like, it'll be tight. It's going to go like this and it's going to be like yeah. that. So it's a matter of, manner of self-control I have to have um, in being creative and, and knowing I can't necessarily splurge all the way on right. this particular idea because I have this lined up on the table Absolutely. so I would say um, planning is has been so very helpful for me um, another big thing and very important thing for me is being able to feed my creatives okay. um, hmm. I, I want to eat off right. my art so why would I ask a photographer a videographer a, a college student intern and you know what I'm saying whatever the case may be to come and be around me and not take care of them right. it doesn't have to be something outrageous like I can't pay your bills necessarily, right. but you know, you just work out negotiation processes with these other fellow creatives so that you all can, can grow together. Um, so me in particular, what I do is um, I have four jobs, um, oh, including music. Mm -hmm. um, I also the brand ambassador um, and do marketing for Sports on Elite. Okay. I've been working with them for a very long time. Right. Um, and I have two other side jobs. So the way that I split that income is... You hear that? Artist, she has four <laughs> jobs. In real life. In, in real, real time. In real life. life. Like, right. I flew back from South by Southwest and worked 12 hours the next <laughs> Like, no, but, but, real. but here's the fuel behind it. Go ahead. South by and the gigs and stuff, finally, I can use that money to help my creatives, right. to help my brand, to go into marketing plan that we may have, or we need to re-up on CDs, or we need to pay this amount to get this video out, or whatever the case may be, right. you know? And then my, my side side jobs, that takes care of home. You mm. know what I'm saying? So my family, you know what I'm saying? I, I can pay my rent every month and not have to worry or if you know if my girlfriend needs something extra or a medical bill or something my girlfriend has diabetes so we, we have to deal with those different things too like I'm able to take care of that because it's two other streams of income that are going into that um, and then in regards to sports zone I've kind of made sports zone my marketing budget right. so I have a new marketing see this is my homegirl right here shout out <laughs> to Britt she's here I just brought her on she goes to Howard um, genius girl you know what I'm saying and she's still young she's still growing she's still learning but she's around me and I want to be able to Help and invest and take care of in that. So Absolutely. I just the income I, I I line it up for that the, the go out as Excellent. well. So I'm not over Excellent. 
over extended in one area. That's yeah, very smart. Yeah. Very smart. Well, Risa, Risa Renee, we want to thank you once again for joining Manager Dan Money. It, it's yeah. like it's been six years later. I know. Listen, listen still, to me we now. Still at it. We still, we still I'm at talking it. about college loans and shit. That's how we got together. We still exist, but I, I got a plan this time. I feel so good about absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, we where can people find you? Where can people follow you, real quick, uh, before we go? Yeah, as long as you know how to spell my name, you can find me anywhere. It's R E E S A R E N E E RisaRenee.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Snapchat and whatever else they create tomorrow <laughs> at Risa Renee. You know what I'm saying? I got a bunch of videos, a bunch of content out. Um, I'll be releasing a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of new things um, probably as soon as this week. Um, uh, Cannabis Festival 422. I'll be doing that. Uh, shout out to Cannabis Festival. Shout out to One Love Massive, DC Funk Parade. Uh, I hope I didn't forget anybody. Sports on Elite. Ooh, I got discount. Y'all like sneakers and, and, and shoes and stuff. <laughs> Sorry. Discount code plug. <laughs> you can type in Reese's Picks. Um, just go to my Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and you'll see everything there. Excellent. But thank you so much for having me. Reese Renee, thank you. It's always a pleasure having your fun, wonderful yeah, spirit. Yeah, baby. Uh, and when we come back from this break, uh, we'll be talking to Mr. Justin Traywick, another artist. So we will be right back. Yo. Hey there. I didn't see you with all these stacks of bills in front of me. I'm going to make it rain all up in my 401k. Enjoy this last segment from the best of MYDM. manage your damn money i am ben carter your co-host along on the other side that's malcolm etheridge and in the middle we got a young man i said the wrong <laughs> i said the wrong <laughs> i said the wrong <laughs> i said the wrong's in the house watch your mouth <laughs> what's up man going on nothing much nothing much so uh first of all how about you just introduce yourself who are you the person jerome couplin and tell us a little tell, tell us a little bit about yourself uh you well, you know name is jerome couplin the third uh born in dc raised in up marlboro maryland pg county uh went to bishop mcmurray high school public school growing up um went on to go to uh, the college win murray uh graduating four and a half years and you know now we are where we are today okay excellent, where'd you get excellent. your degree in Kinesiology and health science with okay. health science concentration. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. Well, he's smart, too. <laughs> so you can heal yourself up. Uh, something like that. Build you a hyperbaric <laughs> chamber. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, so we, we got you here because you play in the NFL. Um, 
And the NFL is definitely one of those things that, you know, especially as a kid, you grow up. I have people who I went to high school with. Um, it's definitely a dream uh, to play and play on that level. Can you tell me, is it all that you imagined in terms of what it was? Give me like a like a comparison between what it was that you thought it was coming up through high school into college and through into the league, um, or is it something different? Like, give me those two perspectives. Uh, I mean, you know, boys club, high school, it seemed like it's so far away. Right. Uh, you know, you have these grown, grown men, you know, doing these wonderful things. And, um, you know, it just seems like, you know, that gap is really big. And then the closer you get there, my dad will always remind me in, in college, you know, hey, this safety is such and such weight and height. You know, you're about his size already. Wow. You know, you might not be as, you know, mature, you know, physically yet, but, you know, you're pretty much there. Right. And, you know, as that window got closer and closer to re realization, then I realized, like, wow, you know, there's a chance. Okay. And, you know, just being there, uh, I want to say, just walking on that field the first time, you know, with a uniform on, it's an experience that you can't really explain. You can't really bottle it in because it's just, it's overwhelming. Right. But, you know, it's like, wow, all that time, you know, it took to get there. Right. It finally paid off. Right, right. So why don't you tell us real quick, give us a real quick recap of your, uh, like, progression so far, like who you were drafted by and where you played since. Well, you know, I had the benefit of going undrafted. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it makes my journey that much better. Uh -huh. uh, so you made a team. Yeah, undrafted uh, by the Detroit Lions in 2014. Uh, went on to be one of two undrafted rookies to make the roster that year. Okay. Uh, was fortunate to play in a few games that year. Okay. Kind of bounced up and down midway through the season. Okay. Uh, practice squad and getting claimed by other teams, etc. Um, later in the year, Philly came in and called me off the practice squad. So that's how I even get to Philly. I uh, thought it was switch. I yeah. thought you went Philly first. Nah, I was in Detroit first. Oh, okay. Yeah, I went on with the Philly. Uh, they signed me at the end of the year, finished the year there. Uh, went into my second year at Philly. Uh, was fortunate to make the after roster again that year. Uh, played the first eight games of the season. Uh, suffered a in, in, uh, season-ending injury. Uh, you know, so I had to rehab and take care of all that. Uh, going into last offseason, was still kind of banged up. So I spent pretty much all last year just rehabbing, getting my body back to where it needs to be. Okay. And fortunately, I got a call at the end of the year by the Rams. You come out, you know, work me out, and I didn't come back. Uh, you know, spent the last two weeks out there, and then after the last game, they decided to sign me to a future deal. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm glad you're not in Philly anymore. So, you know, you being a hometown guy, I love the root for the home for the for the hometown guys, right? Like McNamara is right up the street from where I grew up. Right? Okay. So love the root for the hometown guys, but as a Cowboys fan, I can't root for Eagles ever, ever, ever. Right? Like the reason I love like Navarro, for example, is cause he's all the way in San Francisco. He's not gonna be in our division. I don't have to worry about it. I can root for him. So now I'm glad you're out in LA. I imagine you are too. But, you know, that, that's a positive for me personally. Right. So I, I'll be on your, you know, on your uh, fan wall now. Okay. I appreciate Philly, that. As a Philly player, man, I just can't bring myself to do it. Speaking of L.A., uh, you're going you're going to play for the St. Louis Rams. Oh, excuse me, Los Angeles Rams. Mm -hmm. um, are you excited about that, right. Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, that was my first time really going to the West and being out there for that long, even though, you know, the two and a half weeks. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, I took it all the time. The weather was amazing. You know, it, there was some rain, even though people kept telling me it never rains there. That's uh, a lie. Yeah, that was a <laughs> lie. Um, the food was great. Uh, everybody out there is it's not really as reserved as it is over here. Like, everyone over there is kind of a lot more relaxed and just you know, live life and, you know, do whatever they want. So, absolutely. you know, it's different. It's a culture change, but I'm excited. Absolutely, absolutely. As a resident Californian, we are very chill. Um, <laughs> so anyway. Drag out that chill, too, right? Yeah, you yeah, have to. Too. It's a requirement. So, 
Real quick, Jerome, a question I got for you, kind of to get into like the meat of our show. Uh, you've been in the studio, so I know you caught some of it. So like, because your agent, Chris Coy, is a friend of the show, I know his MO is like preparing his guys for life after football, right? Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about that kind of plan. Like, do you think there's a certain point in your career when you should start thinking about what your next move is going to be? Is that like day one, you sit down and you start really drafting that out? Or, you know, when is too soon or too late to start figuring that out? Uh, Honestly, I kind of think, you know, that it kind of depends on everyone's situation. Okay. You know, you have some, like you said, fortunate, you know, go first round. So you kind of guarantee a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You have guys who go undrafted, you know, you're living week to week. Right. So it kind of, you know, varies. I'll say, um, you know, it should be something in the back of your head regardless because you never know. Like, they always say the NFL is not for long. Okay. So, you know, one injury, your career could be over, you right. know, or one dumb mistake and you go get the DUI now because, you know, they're cracking down on that stuff now. So, you kind of never really know, but at the same time, don't walk around saying, oh, that won't be me. Right, Because, right. like, a lot of times, that person never planned or thought that, you know, they'll be put in that situation. Right, right. So it's something that you just kind of kind of have back in your head, but at the same time, don't let it control what you're doing because then it's going to distract you from what your your main goal is, which is to perform in the field okay. and, you know, do things in the community and stuff like that. So you use time like this, the off season, to kind of work on those Yeah, you kind of you kind of look at it, but at the same time, whatever you were doing to get to this point, you had to do something as sort of a plan B anyway. Right. Well, I would hope you did. Rather, you know, school or some, some type of investments. You know, some people. But you will hope that at some point, you know, you kind of click that switch of like, okay, I can't play football at 45 or right. I can't play it at 50. You know, some people don't even make it to 30. Right. You know, a lot of guys are retiring now and at 30 these days. Right. So you just kind of, you know, you got to listen to your body, but at the same time, you know your mental, where you're at, and, you know, kind of how things are going as well. Right, right, right. Uh, so... I have a real quick like story that's gonna lead to a question, but when I was like in high school, I think I knew there's like a family friend. Mm-hmm. It was a family friend of a guy named Ryan, and okay. Ryan played, if I remember correctly, on the national championship team with Florida University. Okay. Um. So he was a DB. Okay. He, he was. So he afterward he was like a fifth year graduate student at, on that team. Uh, he went on to, you know, try to make a team as a, uh, I guess, as an undrafted player. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came back to California after a couple of the preseason games, and it was like Thanksgiving. And I asked Ryan, I said, I said, Ryan, so like I was a kid, and he was like, you know, probably like 23 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so how was it playing in the NFL? And, and he, this is legit was his reaction. He said, man, it's a business. <laughs> and and he didn't say nothing after that. <laughs> and I was like, well, that was lackluster. I was expecting a lot more, actually. Uh, so t- t- explain to me, give me, tell me what Ryan was saying when he was saying it's a business and then shook his head and then kind of like what like what's behind that kind of statement? Uh, well, I mean, you have the guys, like you said, fortunate to get the draft. Right. And, you know, to kind of. Get guaranteed, you know, a couple of years of here and there, and you have the guys like he said, undrafted, you know, who you can go from being fortunate to make a team to the next week you get cut because right. you know you have no guaranteed money, you have no stability to keep you there. Right. Uh, you have the guys, you know, who are bouncing around practice squads. They might be on practice squad here one week, practice squad here another week, um, and all people see is you know the Sunday games, and you know people aren't looking at oh. The 90 man roster they eventually get cut down to 53. That's a lot of that's a lot you know, of people getting that's cut. That's huge. And it happens within like two weeks. It's wow. like boom boom. Wow. So it's like 
people don't really see that aspect of it. They just see, oh, you're in the NFL, you signed for X, Y, and Z, but you know, everyone's not making, you know, the Tom Brady's and right. all that type of money. Right. You know, you, um, I want to say me and Chris were talking about it. Was it last year before? I think when I was in Philly, and we were saying how like. I want to say only 17 people out of a 90-man roster was scheduled to even make a million dollars. Wow. Like, for that season. Wow. Just only 17 people out of That's a 90-man nice. roster. Right there. So, a lot of people are thinking, like, oh, you're in the NFL, you signed this, this, and that. But it's like, I'm not seeing this, this and that. Right. Or, you know, you're not looking at the fact that as a, as a NFL athlete or a professional athlete, we get taxed as this entertainment tax. There's an entertainment tax? I mean, we're basically what we call it. Oh. And it's basically, you know... <laughs> Half your money is already gone. Yeah, right? you get so that's why you have guys playing. Exactly. Right? So you have guys who are fighting for that money, mm-hmm. and that's why because you know, in the, the day I know the higher that money is, the more I might get taxed. But at the same time, uh, I'm still gonna get better off after that tax versus if I'm making a little bit of money right. and I get hit in the head. Right. You know, because either way, once you make over a certain amount of money, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Everyone's getting taxed the same way. Absolutely. Um, real quick, uh, what was the biggest adjustment going from like college game to the NFL? Um, the biggest was just learning to be a pro. Uh, <laughs> you go from being in a locker room with guys who are a lot more close to your age, from you know seventeen to twenty-three. Right now, you go into a locker room where you might be having somebody who's twenty-one to thirty-five plus. Right, you know that's a big <laughs> jump. And right. you know you got guys who you know have families, have kids, right. wives. You know you go from that to when you were in college, it was just you and the boys all the time. Y'all were the ones partying together. Y'all were always hanging together. Y'all was in study hall together. So that, that probably was the biggest thing is like, is you really learn that it is a job in a sense because, you know, you have these guys who, you know, they go to work and then boom, they're with their families and wife and kids. The next day. You know, and you're sitting there like, oh, you know. Playing video games. Playing Madden. <laughs> a little bit of Madden. Watch, Using yourself watch playing TV. Madden. <laughs> you know, a little bit here and there. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so it, this is an interesting question. Uh, you're now, like, I guess you would be a veteran. Um, or consider yeah, young, yeah, I'm a young veteran. You're a young vet. He's a young vet. Let me not put the let me not put the full vet on him. He's a young vet. Uh, what advice would you give like to a rookie, maybe who was coming with your similar situation where he fought to get on a roster, um, like to ma- how to manage that weekly income because you guys are paid by week, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, t- depending on the team, some teams do every other. Okay. Okay. So, very so, so how so how what would be some like just real general advice for people who are playing um, in the NFL who are coming in or coming up? I mean, well, based off my experience, uh, we'll shoot. Uh, here you go. Calvin Johnson. First thing he tells me is, what you do with that sign bonus you just got? Calvin Johnson, the uh, former wide for- receiver for Detroit yes. Lions. And the first thing he says is, don't gamble. Hmm. Okay. He's like, as much as you can, save, 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 because you don't know, you know, when your last day will be or when your last check will be at the end of the day. So uh, that was my big thing I did. My rookie year, uh, I took the first check I got. You know, I put it to myself. You know, I was thankful for it. And then from there on, I, I had did this thing where 20% of it came to my what I consider my my everyday account, right. and 80% of it went to my savings, to where oh, I couldn't touch. Okay. Or if I touch it, I have to go through a whole lot of avenues to get to it. Right. And that was kind of my way of trying to plan that plan that situation later on down the road now because it's like well you know if i'm already paying myself every week right. for a backup playing rainy you know rain situation right. you know i can live off the rest of this money like similar to what y'all was saying about round bros you know you don't have to live off whatever 100k or right. what you know every year especially when you're somebody like me i have no kids yeah. you know i have no wife right. so it's just myself you know right. My, my bills are made personally by whatever I choose to make, not necessarily because somebody else is depending on me right now. Right, right, right. So, um, you know, 
that and then I'll also say as a rookie, you know, learn how to say no. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. big. Because, you know, it's, you know, you're going to have people who come at you left and right for, you know, the smallest things, though. It won't always be money, but they'll be like, hey, let's go to the club. But they're expecting you. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. the table, right? Yeah, exactly. They expect you to front everything. Or, you know, you'll have situations where you go out to eat and uh, everybody's kind of like looking at you at the table like, hey, is he going to take care of it? Or, you know. So You know what, though? I, I, I read, I, I've read a few different times that, like, LeBron James makes his boys split the bill. So in my mind, LeBron James is worth like what a half a billion dollars or something at this point, right? Arguably, yeah. If LeBron James, the most popular athlete in the in the world right now, arguably at least, is making his buddy split the bill, mm-hmm. who am I to go against that <laughs> that trend? Right? Like he has set the stage for me to now be a cheap guy just like him. Cause like I have a regular job, right? Mm. And I split the bill when me and my friends go out. Why would it be any different, you know, just because, you know, I have a little bit more of it than that person so that's good to, to hear like mm-hmm. it is good to to know that from this side because we only hear the stories like we were talking about where all of a sudden you hear this dude file for bankruptcy and this uh-huh. dude that bought 10 houses is now you know that kind of thing yeah. uh, so it's positive to hear like more guys actually like heeding those kind of warnings and you know do you think like the veterans in the locker room like you're talking about calvin johnson we mentioned marshawn lynch bart scott guys like that do you think that a lot the culture is changing and so you're getting more of the veterans turning around and giving that kind of advice to the guys or is the league doing more to help guys learn you know to be better with their money or sort of how is that culture shift happening if at all yeah, definitely. Uh, I can say just from my experience in Philly, uh, you know, I would go out with Malcolm Jenkins and Nolan Curl all the time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if it was a certain situation where they know that it shouldn't, shouldn't be something I would be doing, mm-hmm. they would look at me like, hey, you know, second year, you know, you save some money. Right. But you ain't been here that long. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? We know how much you made. You know, yeah, exactly. Technically, in a sense. So it's like, you know, be smart. Right. Then, you know, you have some vets, you know, who... Who will take care of certain situations? Like, hey, well, I'll pay for X, Y, and Z. Y'all mm-hmm. split this. Okay, okay. You know, so you have those guys who you know who are trying to help and trying to teach you and trying to get you to understand that you know that money comes quick, but yeah. it also goes just as fast. Right. You know, because you think about it, you got a young guy who's coming from college. He probably didn't have a job in college, obviously, because most times we you know we didn't have that ability to. You yeah, know, that's the, a whole nother problem. A whole nother problem yeah. itself, exactly. <laughs> but then you know you go from. Not or guys who come from nothing, mm-hmm. you know, who've grind and struggled, paying the pennies from certain families, right. to now, boom, I've made it. Right. Now I'm getting this roughly fifteen to sixteen thousand dollar check every week, you know, after tax you know, as, a, as a rookie. But then now I got everyone back home who wants his money from me, so right. I'm dividing his money up, hoping whoever else helped me get to where I'm at now, right. and then doing what I want to do. Because they already have ideas for how you should be spending your money. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> or you have a guy who who just have never seen that money. Most of us haven't. Right. Even right. if like you know your parent might have had some money to the side. Right. You've never seen that much money at once, and it's like wow, and this so check is coming you, next week too. How do you expect? Oh wow, this check comes the following much. week. Yeah. You know, and you like think seventeen weeks of the same check like. Right. Like, and you think what it's just going to keep coming and exactly. coming and coming. And, yeah. and you have guys who, you know, just, you're like, well, I'm going to get it next week. So, cool, boom. Go right. do what I do. Right, right. Um, so, quick question about, the to go off of what Malcolm said, the culture. Um, do you, we talked about Marshawn Lynch. We talked about you having conversations with Calvin Johnson. Um, how much of that those kinds of discussions happen you know in the locker room or you know at practice or whatever specifically about managing your money and then also the next question that i actually have is uh uh actually scratch the first question okay <laughs> the question i want to ask calling the audible i'll call it audible uh omaha okay. uh 32 9 blitz uh so anyway 
how do how do how does it work when you have like you just said there were 17 players scheduled to make a million mm -hmm. and there's such a vast difference in what people are making and how the contracts are structured uh -huh. do players not talk about it at all in terms of like what this person's making versus what that person's making like what how does that work I mean, it's subconsciously talked about. Okay. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I'm making X, Y, and Z, you making this, and we comparing each other. Right. But at the end of the day, everyone knows who in the room is making what money. Absolutely. Or like, I mean, ESPN tells everybody. So, boom. <laughs> it last, does. So, last year when Philly was signing everybody, right. I mean, everybody knew. Right. I mean, yeah. it, there was no hiding it. So, you saw some like, hey, congrats, big money, you know, right. you just got paid. That's just it. That's yeah. it. And that's where it starts and stops. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you have... Uh, Say like a young guy's in there, he just got some money, and he's buying a bunch of stuff that's coming to the building. You know, you'll have best be like, hey now, what you, what you doing over there? Or like, <laughs> my coach in, in Detroit, he will like, like, do it to be funny, but at the same time, hey, what you buy this week? <laughs> where where, where, where you go? Yeah, exactly. So like, you, you have some people who truly care and who are like worrying about it because they, they know that it, it can easily happen to anyone. Absolutely, absolutely. And just for our uh, audience that's watching, if you want to ask a question here to uh, Jerome, you can at us at mydm1. I have Twitter up now. If you have a question, please in 40, 140 characters or less ask the question. <laughs> um, Ten characters or less. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, we have about uh, twelve minutes left in the show. Um, but before we move on. Uh, we talked about earlier in the show the learning curve, or the, excuse me, the earning curve mm -hmm. of being a young athlete and then saving for the future. Can you, as much as you're comfortable, share with us like the plan that you have for yourself and like how you see yourself managing into the point where you, uh, you know, are retirement retiring or stepping away from the league? Okay. Well, uh, like generally, what's your what's your? I mean, approach? generally every year, whatever I'm earning. I set myself a certain goal okay. to what I want to do. So my, my rookie year was say, okay, I wanted to have this much saved in the bank once the season was over that I didn't touch. Okay. The following year, I had another goal that I raised up a little more. Okay. So earlier, that, that's kind of like my small thing to do. Okay. But then you have your other avenues, like y'all talked about earlier, the 401k. Right. You know, be smart, use that. I mean, right. we're one of the ones fortunate enough that, you know, they match that two to one. Oh. Then so why not take advantage of it? Oh. Yes, exactly. I didn't know that. Yeah, so you know, it's a fun fact. D. Smith okay. doing his job, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, you know, they, they've uh, from what I've learned from when I from when I've gotten in the league to the lockout when they had the whole new right. CBA mm -hmm. situation, mm -hmm. things have advanced and have grown a lot from right. the previous one right. to where how much a pension was per year, or uh, they have new things severance now, or grants to going back to school, and you know, right. certain how much money you have to use for a year. Um, so. You can see the growth and the change that they're trying to make it better. And I tell you all the time, it's kind of almost set up now that if you're, you're fortunate enough to, you know, get those four years or plus years or, you know, get vested, as everyone would say, you know, you're fortunate to get a lot of benefits, you know, that it's kind of hard to really go broke unless, you know, you're living outside of your means, which means you're living a life that you shouldn't be already be living. Right. And then you're, you know, you're, you're continuing that life after you graduate. Right. Absolutely. So it's like you kind of set yourself to a certain way already off the jump and you carry that on. I feel like you'll be fine regardless. Okay. So you're saying you have to actually put in work actively to be broke. And people right. still figure right, right. out a way to, right to, now, yes. to make it. Okay. Because, I mean, it's set to where you get a certain amount of money mm -hmm. so so often after you've retired. Okay. So it's like, it's kind of set that, you know, back in the day, was once you retired, you got a certain amount of money after you retired, mm -hmm. and you had to wait until you was 59 and a half right. to get that 401k. Right. Now there are smaller things now that's put in place that if you're fortunate to get those benefits, you know, it kind of like helps you out now. 
Okay. And if you're smart about what you've earned already from the beginning, you should already be okay regardless. And now you're just adding on. Then if you're smart enough to, you know, do some investments and everything along those lines, you know, you're, you're kind of like bringing in extra income already. So you can't bank on just the income you're making as a player. Here's a question I have for you real quick, just mm-hmm. about Glover Quinn when you were in Detroit. Because okay. I know he's like his goal is to like double his income every single year yeah. from investing in the market. Yeah. Does any of that kind of rub off when you're with somebody like that? Like are you, you Yeah, know, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you learn a lot of things from certain guys like him off the field. Even like, you know, simplest thing is like investing yourself as your body, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. taking care of you know your business because in the day you're your own individual business and yourself within the NFL. Right. So you know that's probably was the biggest adjustment I made coming into the league. I mean, when you're younger, you're 17, 18, 19, you can run around, you can barely stretch, and you'll right. feel just fine. You, you know, you're good. But when you, you know you get to this next level, your body's getting older. You know, all the miles are starting to add up. You know, <laughs> you have to start. You know, the smaller things is like you know going to get massages or going to get acupuncture, right. uh, going down the street to district cryo or. Right. Um, you know, going to get my feet done. Right. You know, at the end of the so, day, I need those for everything I do in football. So that's a good so, place you know, to, going to get my feet so, rubbed so once a week. Why not? So, Jerome, real quick before we go to our last music break for the show, uh, in 30 seconds, uh-huh. like after the NFL, what's next for you? Do you know yet? Have you started thinking about that? It's still a question mark. You know, it's, it's some some options. Uh, that's right. I could always go back and go to you know take some classes over and go to PT school if I wanted to. Okay. Um, my high my college coach actually and my high school coach say all the time they think that eventually at some point I want to probably do coaching okay. or some type of mentorship in the community. So yeah, some options. I I don't have one pinpoint yet. Excellent. But, you know we're working on it. But the the pot is on the stove. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, definitely. Very good. Well, we want to thank uh, Jerome Cuplin for coming in on Manage Your Damn Money today, talking to us about the business of the NFL and managing your money as a young player in the NFL. Um, we're gonna take another quick music break from our uh, in-house producer, Mr. Beats by Beeman, and when we come back, we'll wrap up the show. Thank you, Jerome. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Good to have you on. I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this best of MYDM. Now go out there and manage your damn money. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. For more MYDM check out the website at www.manageyourdamnmoney.com.